Hi everyone. Today I'm going to be with a dear friend of mine, Gentana Kampra Komroy from uh, Tapoli, CEO and co-founder of Tapoli. Gentana will be covering with us why we need gig economy uh, insurance. We'll talk about our business model and hopefully you should be also able to see a little video around how the platform works. So good afternoon, everyone. I'm so excited to be with Gentana from Tapoli. Gentana and I know each other for a very long time. Uh, I remember going to a conference and Gentana said, Sabine, I know you, we need to talk. And we became best friends, I guess, yes. since yes. that moment, right, Gentana? Yes, we are. Thank you so much, Sabine, for inviting me to this interview. It's my you know, um, honors and privilege to be here with you. So tell us a little bit more about you, where you come from, why you moved into Inchiljak and yes. uh, Tapoli. Yes, where should I start? I think Tapoli started in 2016 and um, it came about at the back of my own personal experience of dealing with insurance. And I was so um, kind of um, surprised by how um, uh, backwards we are in terms of offering insurance and also you know kind of the whole end-to-end -end process I thought okay this is um, an industry that I could add value so I quit my um, banking job uh, investment banks to be precise and start my own business to service the most difficult market which everyone is trying to stay away from which is micro insurances for micro businesses and freelancers so this is interesting, Jantana, because as you know, insurance is going through a transformation right now. And I guess your, your banking expertise should be so valuable for our industry to learn from, you know, some of the more trading aspect of banking to make maybe our industry, uh, which is highly risk averse, more welcoming potentially on other techniques from other sectors to be successful. What's your thought? Uh, yes, I think I have been able to kind of leverage from my past experience to help me build a better business, certainly in insurtech. Obviously, I used to cover equity business and, you know, kind of, um, the whole process is relatively uh, automated, especially uh, equity trading. Everything is electronics, uh, the whole backend could be automatically uh, um, a replicate and so on and so on, which um, is um, that process, you know, the whole end-to-end -end automation is harder with insurance businesses, be purely because there's too many players, um, the, the lack of joint up system process and people because if you look at, you know, like the value chain of insurance, you've got brokers, individual brokers, which are completely independent from the, the system and the flow. And then you've got like intermediaries like MGA in between as well. And then, you know, you may have insurance company um, and even reinsurance company and trying to combine. And in most cases, uh, especially lawyers of London market, you have a claim team that are completely separate company from the rest of the, you know, kind of uh, value chain, trying to combine all of those into one single um, uh, uh, kind of process is very difficult because everyone got their own system, they got their own uh, 
manual process, they've got their own kind of, you know, like uh, uh, limitation, the data is not shared. Um, the automation is, is make it so hard to um, offer some level of automation. And also to get level of automation, you need uh, some sort of standardization as well. So, and as you know, you know, with our insurance product, <laughs> the, the same product may cover X uh, risk, other may cover Y, for example, it's not like a like, 100% uh, like for like comparison. So there would always be some variation out there, which make it harder for us to standardize the question set or other um, kind of uh, um, a in terms of the policy. So um, therefore, um, the automation here um, could be obtained, but it's going to take a consolidation of uh, players in a one single platforms. I think, and that's what, um, if you look at uh, investment banks, for example, Goldman Sachs did very well. Um, they were one of very few uh, or the first investment bank that built a mega systems for all their line of business. And, you know, like for that mean that they can kind of have that joined up onboarding process across different product lines. They can have joined up more like operations and they can have joined up, you know, kind of um, different uh, trading and sales department for cross-selling and so on and so on. So they are able to do that and the automation could be made more robust and uh, uh, it's possible then when you have like a join us system that you know can uh, track every single transaction from every single sources. And that's exactly what is needed uh, within the insurance space. And that's why, you know, Tapley have gone from being the, uh, wanted to be a retail player as offering micro insurances to kind of uh, move up the chain because we realize a lot of problems that we are facing is come from upstream come from product development, it's come from, you know, kind of a not join a system and process that technology could solve. But in order to do that, we nearly have to sit ourselves in between and say, look, this is a new alternative post-seller platform that could connect you seamlessly, you know, like customer direct uh, to either brokers or to the platform straight you know, to the underwriter. So th that is basically the level of join up that we need to be able to make in order to make most of our um, kind of marginal profit that we will make from selling micro insurances. And so, I mean, it's time, I mean, for us to talk about for sure Tapoli. So why does the world need a Tapoli and a gig economy worker insurance proposition or um, you know, and a much more customer-centric SME proposition out there. Yes. Um, I think, you know, Tapley is very timely and, and is much needed purely because we are able to operate at a micro uh, premium level that traditional player may not be interested in. Um, so if you look at, you know, like traditional insurance company that have high overhead costs for serving customer, um, trying you know, for them to kind of going down the chain and serving micro businesses will be a little bit too difficult for them because they would not make money. Whereas we having that fully automated process where we use technology to drive our underwriting and pricing and the whole kind of quote and bind, it's easier for us to gain that economic of scale. It's easier for us to save costs uh, even if you know the transaction is much lower than what traditional player would actually go for and after, and it's needed because someone needs to serve this customer. Um, Absolutely. So you may, you just said somebody needs to sell and service that customer. So 
tell us a little bit more about your target customer, you know, who he or she is, what does she or he wants, and how do you make them happy? Yes, a lot of our gig workers, honestly, either, you know, like a, um, a, a sole trader or freelancers working by themselves or a small uh, micro businesses that um, need insurance to cover for, you know, there is a core insurance product like employer liability for businesses that everyone must have. And then there's kind of, you know, like the um, essential, like professional indemnity, public liability, and then some other add-on that may be relevant to their uh, business activity and risk profile. So that is basically the uh, type of insurance that we're offering to um, like our customer. But um, our main target is micro businesses and freelancers, uh, those that are underserved and it's difficult to make profit from and so it's interesting because when things you know working in insurtech uh, which i learned over time is when you work with large enterprises you know they have existing customer base and existing customer segment they need to serve and continue to serve um, very well however when you look at the world we are going into uh, and you probably read quite a few of my blogs which state that 68% of the working population in 2030 will be uh, millennial and Gen Z. And a lot of us are going to be entrepreneurs. And so therefore, a lot of those new people you may not want to work with businesses, for businesses, because they are looking for lifestyle. They are looking for, you know, working for businesses more aligned to their purpose and values. And what you find is, as a result, is that um, the product and services which are available right now are not suited. And so, therefore, that's the reason why we need um, Tapoli, we need the like of Gentana to actually uh, build the product and services of your future, because often large companies do not have the, uh, the time, hmm. time to focus on that. So when you look at building brands, what have you learned? from your recent experience of your past few years experience around building a recognizable brand? Um, in terms of building brand, I think, you know, like as a CEO, I really need to get myself out there, expose myself to uh, um, press release, webinar, you name it, um, and trying to build myself as an expertise within the industry, showing uh, our knowledge and what we can do in this space is important, I think. And of course, it's, um, it's not something that you can do overnight. It's something that you can do over time. So you have to be a little bit patient, but certainly, you know, like having more um, focus on the, uh, uh, your missions, you know, what exactly are you trying to do? Um, and then having consistent in your message um, that you send people is also important so that they don't, uh, people don't confuse uh, you with, you know, kind of different business, for example. So just having that uh, clear focus about, oh, this is the business, this is what we do. And then constantly, you know, like uh, re repeat that message um, is, yes. And, and that is true, it, it's key, it's very important. So when we look at business models, so business model aside, so what differentiates Tapoli from other gay economy workers propositions that are there? I would love, Jantana, if you can get us through, um, through that. And another question which comes to mind is, 
um, when we talk, we talk about the MGA model as well a lot. And so I would love if you could actually help our viewer understand what those choices, why Tapoli has made those choices in building um, your business. Yes, um, I think to answer your first question is how did we differentiate ourselves from our peer? I think uh, one, obviously we've got some you know, competition in our space. There are some startups out there that are doing very similar uh, product and have similar value proposition as us, but there may be some product um, differentiations. I think there's a few um, insurtech out there that service the micro uh, businesses and freelancers already, but some may be in the, you know, kind of offer modern insurance space, other may offer, you know, other line of business, for example, for this market segment. So product differentiation is one, one thing. The second part is uh, obviously, you know, like maybe our approach. Uh, we approach it from the customer angle perspective. We look at customer profile and we say, you know, like, what do we need to do in order to get the relevant um, insurance to cover our customers' flexible lifestyle. Um, and, and that means, you know, we have to do a lot of work because uh, if you want to cover customer lifestyle, you actually need to expand your product range. You know, you need to expand your list of carrier and that is very time consuming and costly. Uh, for us to do and you know and and that's something that Tapley have been spending we spend a lot of time in building products to be honest we focus on that um, so I think the next stage we now got the product and the list of insurance company that we work with that could offer you know good products so we now at the stage where okay we're building the system we're building the product we, we have all the license and we you know got all these wonderful partners the next stage is to grow our business this is where we are growing our business 2021 and two and we are raising money in order to do that because um, you can't acquire customer and serve customer without additional funding so that is you know like something that we are currently looking to into so you are raising funding and you are actually promoting a business model which is i think quite unique as well yes. so what has been your investment journey as a, as a female founder, Jensena? Yes, um, obviously being female founder, I think uh, we are not um, having an easy life, certainly. Um, but, you know, it, it is hard to raise money at uh, this, you know, kind of um, um, in this time. <laughs> we literally just come out of COVID, obviously. Um, and that means that, you know, like a lot of people start now looking for um, alternative investment. So we are a good place to get those investment. But it's the timeline. I think with uh, any kind of early stage company, um, we need to be sufficiently funded and we need to make sure that we get enough cash um, because that's what kill a business is the cash flow, right? It's not the fact that they don't have good business. Um, and this is something that we are kind of, you know, like going to be working really hard in the next couple of weeks. Um, so yes, I'm quite excited, but whether being a female founder will actually make it harder. Maybe, maybe, maybe there is something about that. Um, I don't know whether um, the fact that, you know, like obviously this is, um, um, first time founder as well as being female um, and on top of that you know I don't have internal experience to start people may uh, be varied slightly and then of course serving in uh, micro insurances the profits is margin is lower at the beginning so it it takes time to build the level of volumes that everyone wants to see and with you know like today's um, situations where all the uh, investment they prefer to either invest in a more um, 
mature stage, later stage, um, um, because there were a lot of um, uh, company, early stage company that um, either go bankrupt during the COVID-19, for example. So I understand from the, you know, like in, um, the investor side, they need to be careful with where they place their money. So hopefully we can prove to them that we are one of the viable insurance platform that they should invest in. Exactly, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's, there's a big need, right? There's a massive gap for um, um, young businesses to, to get their appropriate insurance. And when you look at even the statistic around just the United Kingdom, 70% of um, the working businesses are small businesses. So it's something one not, should, not, should not forget. Partly um, yeah. as we all look for uh, more than potentially have one one job, which which takes me to my next questions. You know, when you look at the gig worker, a lot of our gig worker um, are people who are working on a job and then working maybe on two other jobs. And I think it is what is happening now across the part. You know, port portfolio people will need insurance for you know sitting on boards as well whilst doing a day job. So how do you approach that at Tapoli? Yes, I think um, usage-based insurance um, is something that is very relevant to the kind of you know flexible lifestyle that we have now. Usage insurance would allow individual uh, customer to be able to buy insurance for the activities, and that solves some of the problem where you know you have yeah you put a customer into a, a group or a bracket and expecting them to perform within that you know, kind of uh, the, the definition of the professions. Whereas uh, if we were to offer uh, usage-based insurance, we uh, would insure them by the activity. So it doesn't, you know, it means there's a one-to-one -one mapping relationship with what they do and the risk uh, is more accurate. Um, because otherwise you may find that uh, a gig workers may do three different jobs that have completely different risk profile. And it's very hard to buy, you know, a cover to cover all of those three risks. Right. So, uh, you know, offer that kind of on demand usage page by activity will help uh, the uh, insured because they would be fully covered, but also, you know, help us as well so that we know what risk we are taking as opposed to, you know, getting a surprise where customer claiming something that is for the activity that obviously is not covered by the policy. Yeah. So I think it's very also important for um, anyone you know, going to listen to the discussion to understand that um, insurance is based on activity. And it's very important to be really clear that you can't just put everything into one single umbrella because different activities have different risk profiles. And it's really good to find an environment platform where you can today be a director of a company and the next day an advisor on another company and actually get your DNO as much as you can go get your liability insurance in in one single environment, but still have some level of flexibility around that, what, the way this is priced. Yeah, yes. So tell me a little bit more about uh, the team. I think you have a wonderful team. You have spent a lot of time acquiring your talent and it would be great uh, to hear your philosophy around talent acquisition and growth. Yes. I think, you know, in terms of our team, we choose uh, our uh, team based on uh, two aspects, but I choose my co-founder based on three aspects. 
So I start with my co-founder first. I think with co-founder, I choose, of course, the skill was number one. I look for, you know, like, did they, you know, like uh, my co-founder have the right skill to be able to add value to my company. And the second is, of course, the, um, uh, the kind of work ethic or basic core value. <laughs> you know, um, is he going to be working hard or is he going to, you know, kind of, uh, um, taking a day off whenever he feel like uncomfortable. So the level of commitment, you know, you have to have like a, your co-founder is your rock basically when you work together, you need someone who can rely on, right? So the level of commitment that you need from your co-founder is going to be equal to your own uh, as a founder of the company. And then the third aspect, of course, financial. So I want someone who can financially uh, support the business because I will put a lot of financial support to the business. I want someone who can equally um, does that. So there's kind of three aspects that I'm looking for. And I think I was introduced to my co-founder, Sam, uh, through one of our friends. And uh, fun, you know, like um, luckily he got all of those three. He ticked all of my boxes and including um, he's also, you know, kind of um, in, in many ways um, easy, to please as a co-founder we rarely have any argument to be honest there are um which often may happen you know, and that cause a breakup of early stage companies founder doesn't get along for some reason and we always you know we don't always agree on everything but when we disagree we always find a way to reasonably talk to each other and solve our disagreement so that's the whole point you know we work well as a team and um, we uh, match each other in terms of our strengths and weaknesses um, well, so it's very important what you highlighted around um, finding your, your true co-founders mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, you are going to sweat a lot, right? Mm -hmm. So you are going to put a lot of your time efforts mm -hmm. into a business and your expectation is not to tell other people what to do, but to actually find people who will say proactively go and do the job, right? Mm -hmm. Because you are co-founders. And so you're not having um, one superior activity over the other. Yeah. I think the other things which actually you highlighted, which have highlighted to other startups in the past is, um, you know, as you are investing time, resource, effort into building your, your venture, you need to find people who actually align to understanding how ventures are being built mm -hmm. because there is a financial commitment. So you are not going to earn money for a little bit of time, potentially. And you are going to spend your own money. So everybody needs to equally uh, invest. Otherwise, this is the best way to, to kill a business or to lose the interest mm -hmm. from one of the co-founder putting more sweat into the project than others. So those are very important uh, baseline to understand it. And usually entrepreneurs and um, you know people who have built businesses before know um, that is part of one-on-one unwritten rules of building businesses, I guess. Yes, and of course, you know, our team, you know, when it's come to our team, we don't always go for experience purely because, you know, like the cost of hiring experience is going to be higher than talents. So we go for talent that we know we can coach and teach, uh, which often, you know, work really well, of course. Um, and that means, you know, like we can really teach them our way. So they don't pick up like kind of bad habits elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, you know, I so much enjoy that statement, you know, I mean, for the work I did from the past five years and my most unique experiences. 
and the people and a friend have built um, during the past five years, you're right, talent first. Um, you know, people have gone to doing amazing jobs after doing the accelerator. And uh, this is based on their own merit and skills. Um, and building a team is hard, but when you find the people able to build that A team with you, it's joy. It's just every day you wake up, you can't, you can't wait to see them. And then every night you go home, you are happy to go home late. You know, with my former team, we used to spend a lot of time in this little e-time bar of Morgate. Um, and we used to have late nights just chatting for hours before going home. And so that is part of, you know, finding your, your talent and nurturing your talent. I think having, um, you know, like the um, culture that embrace uh, everyone's talent is important. And also, you know, finding your uh, uh, talents that have certain value. I, I look at their value more than the skills um, set. They have to have interests, of course, and they have to be uh, relatively smart, clever. They can pick things up. Um, uh, but more importantly, they have their core value have to be kind of work hard and um, focus more on that deliverable as opposed to that what is in for them and reward because we start up you know like it's it's hard to um give people like a high incentive um whereas you know our incentive is other part we've got share options we've got a flexible work-life balance we've got fantastic mentoring program within our company for example those are the benefits and um, and we treat our customer hopefully like a family and when we're successful we will be successful together um, so I treat nearly every one of our staff as co-founders, if that makes sense. And that is absolutely true. Um, again, another great practice, which I think we both learned from the VC culture um, and uh, how they teach a lot of U.S. companies, teach uh, their um, startups to recruit based on people's motivations and the care they have for others. And you have actually reflected that in what you just said, which echo a lot of what I've learned and heard from investors um, from all around the globe, actually. So it's interesting to hear that. So what would be the tips you would give to female founders wanting to join our sector and our uh, practice area, which is called InsureTech? I think you just have to take the leap of faith and start. That's for start, you know, like get over your fear and do it. Don't think about it. <laughs> because I know that when you start thinking about it, there will be hundreds of reasons why not to. Um, and luckily I was one of those people who blessfully unaware of difficulties that I will have to face. If I know how difficult it would be, I may think twice about getting into this, <laughs> but I was not thinking and that was a good thing for me. And once you get into our business, of course, just make sure that, you know, like you put enough effort into up your skill because you're going to need it. You're going to need to uh, probably solve your problem daily. I mean, we've got problems since day one, to be honest, um, and we kind of keep solving them and then new problem keep appearing <laughs> but it's problem solving is what makes me great um, and i enjoy doing it and thirdly you just enjoy doing it don't think too much about you know like the uh, uh the thing that doesn't happen like financial uh, outcome and things that may um uh, kind of take you away from focus on your business just love your business and do what you love every day and that's you you should get there eventually 
do what you love every day. So it's a beautiful quote, do what you love every day. You know, I think, I remember my, my parents' generation, you know, when I started telling, oh, I'm going to move job and they were frightened, horrified because people stay for 25 years, 30 years in the same jobs. And so when they actually now realize that I need to do, still today, I'm not that young, but still today, I need to do what I believe in to actually drive value in the sector I care for. Um, hopefully they feel joyful. I said, at least Sabine is doing something that she feel worthy of doing. And, um, you know, as you said, when you wake up in the morning, the first things you do is think about what you love. And if we are, we are privileged to be able to do that because many people don't. Yeah. By the way, Sabine, you don't look a day older than 25. So then you give me that, you know, I'm old thing. You're not. <laughs> you look fabulous. <laughs> Thank you. I'm definitely yeah, yeah. We're timeless, you know, women age well, I must say. <laughs> well, aging well. And my yeah. husband is very proud to be married to me. Yeah. Um, so another question for you. So what would be the growth prospect and the expansion for Tapoli. What is next for Tapoli for the year to come? Yes, I mean, like this year, of course, you know, it's all about growing. So uh, capital is what we are uh, after. So our growth, potential growth is linked to our ability to raise money. The more money we can raise, the more we can expand. And that's how it is um, in the next 12, to 24 months, we're going to be focusing on expanding our business, both from the SaaS side, we are now going to be focusing on the kind of SaaS aspect of it and build ecosystems uh, where we've got, you know, like a book of uh, fantastic MGA and uh, either wholesaler broker that could help us with the distribution and service some of our customer so that we can, you know, become the core technology company and offering that kind of alternative wholesaler uh, platform for, the uh, incumbent as well as the kind of newcomer. Do you think actually you, you raised two key points, which is I think the key point for the next five years, right? Building growth ecosystems, which is key part of where we are in insurance today. But can I ask you about embedded finance and embedding insurance as well? Where do you see these embedding of product and services and capabilities playing into what you do at Tapley? Well, it's extremely important and it's linked to that, you know, offering lifestyle. Um, uh, if you look at, you know, a lot of um, banking apps, for example, they, you know, like there's many banking app or uh, banking services that include uh, insurance as part of the package. Classic example is, for example, credit card company that include travel insurance, right? It, it's been um, done for many, many years now. It's nothing new, but we are talking about using other product that embedded into, you know, like the financial ecosystems as well. And it makes perfect sense. If you like a company that provide credit facilities, you're going to want uh, your customers being well protected right, whether it's their health or their life, whether it's their, uh, you know, like work, anything related to the companies, um, you want to protect your customer. So insurance is a very good mechanism to mitigate some of that risk, reduces the risk of customer going default or, you know, in financial difficulties, for example, you can have that insurance. Um, and um, yes, and that's why I think, you know, having that new embedded uh, 
insurance product to someone else's service will be a very, um, uh, it would be future. If you look at, you know, all these mobile phones, when you buy mobile phone, it's come with insurance. First three months, you get free insurance, whether it's cyber and gadget insurance, right? So it's already there. Um, it makes the purchase, uh, the consumer life much easier when all the services around them come with guarantee and insurance, then they don't have to think too much about, oh, okay, you know, I have to get my own insurance for all my gadgets because everything I bought is actually come with a guarantee and insurance for at least three to five years. Um, so that's how I see it's going. It's going to be the burden of offering insurance would be less on the consumer from their personal line side and more on the company that provides services and products, I think. Uh, and of course, the commercial side, although individual may need to still source their uh, insurance products, but I think the way we deliver the product will be simpler and easier. There will be a lot more kind of, you know, data enrichment, uh, alternative data source that we can use to uh, automate some of the quote process. And then of course, you know, like the product, I think it would be more sophisticated, more flexible. That's how I see the emerging um, uh, kind of uh, product development within the insurance. It will get there, but it may take longer than we think because of this hard market that we are currently facing. And um, when you look at the, um, the shape of a new product, um, what is interesting is, as you, you, you mentioned, the embedding within other products, it's also very important to make sure the customer remains safe. But yes, as we get lazier and lazier, you know, touch button generation, we are expecting I mean, for a lot of us may expect the insurance to be still clean. So, you know, add your insurance a bit like when you buy um, an Apple product, you, you can buy your warranty straight and get your device repaired if it gets broken. What I'm worried about actually, Shantana, is how do we make sure that we do not exclude segments? So, you know, we have a massive underserved market segment. So how would you address um, that segment in the future? And how do you embed sustainability in what you do as well at Tapoli? Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, obviously, you know, like your first question is very good question. That's probably the question that we need to ask the underwriter or insurance company because um, the risk is taken by them. So they need to be willing to uh, offer insurance to even, you know, like the what they call the uninsured <laughs> or the risk that nobody wants to take. Um, so we need to have that kind of uh, support from uh, our insurance partner. Um, and of course, um, how do we, uh, I may have, I may need you to repeat this that question. Yes, yeah, so the second part is, okay, so we are dependent on the underwriter on recognizing that there is an underserved market segment, like the underbank, the underinsured. The, the big trend right now, it's everybody is embracing the UN SDGs and um, implementing ESGs, so environmental, social and governance structures within the organization. So what does sustainability mean for Tapoli? Yes. Um, sustainability, I think, is with the market segment that we are currently serving. Obviously, uh, if you look at, you know, like the gig economy and the benefit that bring to the world, um, you know, like the fact that people are sharing their uh, assets, their gadgets mean that, or even their uh, properties, it means that is reduced, you know, like the number of, uh, um, for start, uh, if we're talking about car sharing, 
fantastic example, pollution, you know, it reduced the number of cars in the city, pollution could go down, for example, um, the cost would go down for everyone, everyone would benefit from it. Um, the property sharing, and that also means that perhaps, you know, we don't have to build so many properties, um, because people can share and we can coexist uh, in the same apartment, for example, and that again will help with, you know, kind of the, um, a, uh, uh, the whole uh, building and um, trying to in, uh, uh, keep all these forests where they should be kept and not extending our um, city further. Um, and of course, you know, like the kind of the whole um, ecosystem around sharing is very important. It's caused you know, the waste. There's a lot of waste, right? You know, like when we don't have and uh, increasing the uh, uh, revenue job allow people to be able to work remotely is important because then you get people the population in density may not be in the city now then because people can move outside London um, people can work you know like uh, and be able to live in a more um, uh, locate in a location where they can have work a life balance and cheaper and nicer I mean, I would love to have my, you know, kind of uh, summer house where I can work from South of France, for example, and stay there all year round and having, you know, like a fraction of the cost that I will have to pay here in London. Why, why would I not want that lifestyle? Um, so, yes. It's a nice lifestyle. You yeah, know. it's a nice lifestyle. It's sunny in France. Got a very nice message from one of my colleagues with a nice swing pool picture where he's relaxing so in France it was the bank holiday last week <laughs> it was really nice to see that, that they had a beautiful sun so, yeah. so why not right so we are talking about gig worker which is also a transient worker and able to potentially work from another home whilst because we are working with digital businesses today and with remote working that means that we may want or may be willing to able to work for, for six months of the year somewhere else, which means there are also great opportunity for insurance to adapt for, for to a different lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. So more innovation coming to industry. Yes. <laughs> so are there any last words you would want to leave with our audience who actually hopefully will want to know how to build the business of the future and build adequate cultures as well? Yes, I think building business for future, you just look at your own personal need. I think um, that's the best way to pick um, the right business is what exactly you think you need in your daily life that you haven't got that you think other people will need as well. Um, and then, you know, like work your business plan around people's needs and around your personal needs so that you have that passion to drive because it will be hard setting up anything new. And especially when you're one of the first where, you know, the, there isn't a blueprint. You don't have that kind of use case where, you know, like you, you can learn from. So you have to be the one to start the first step and make mistakes along the way. Thank you, Gentana. Thank you so much for your time. A great discussion. Let's Thank build you. the economy, product services and companies of the future. And thank you for doing that for many of us. We know it's a growing market and we need your services and your products. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Sabine VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine Van der Linden. Thank you.